Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray and then we're going to jump into the word. Father, we love you this morning. We're so grateful, Father, that you are such an amazing God. We thank you for what you did around these altars just a few moments ago, Lord, because I know there are folks that are walking away, Lord God, feeling the touch of your hand upon their lives. But Father, now as we jump into the word, we pray, Father God, that through this word, it'll make a difference in our life. I pray, Father, that we'll hear it, that we'll be people, Father God, that our ears are in tune with your spirit. And Father, may the anointing of the Spirit of God be upon this word, upon this speaker, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, folks, this morning, I know that many of you are thankful for a lot of different things, but may I just mention one that is really important. I'm thankful that there are differences among humanity, amen? Because if you think about this for a minute, I mean, I know this is one of those thoughts that perhaps it makes you cringe a little bit, but you should be thankful that not everybody's like me. Or like you. (laughs) I couldn't resist. I mean, I'm thankful for the diversity there is among humans. I mean, so many different folks. And there's not one of us that are are identical to anybody else. I mean, we live literally in a world that there's so many differences. I mean... You can, get, you can get differences everywhere. I mean, there's differences between de- Democrats and Republicans and independents. There's all kinds of differences. God, God made people to fit into every different job there is out there. I mean, I can't imagine doing some jobs. I mean, some of you could see me doing other jobs besides what I do. I mean, many of you have mentioned that I would make a good brain surgeon. I know, you know, I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> I've never done brain surgery, but man, I've always wanted to try. You know what I'm saying? And if any of you need me to try, I will do it for no pay whatsoever, just for the experience. Some things, though, I don't think I could do. You know, I mean, I grew up in a family of policemen. My dad was a policeman, retired from that. My brother was a a deputy sheriff, retired from that. Uh, I just never wanted to be a cop ever. I just didn't want to be that. But they were evidently cut out to do that. One of the things I'll tell you, I just, this is one of those jobs I don't think I will ever be in, hopefully, is a mortician. You know, I just, I'm okay with you. That's, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going, yes, there is. Okay. There's differences in people. So there's all these jobs that God fulfills by making people different differences, all kinds of differences. There's differences between city folks and country folks. Did y'all know that? Years and years ago, my wife and my family made a move from Carlsbad, New Mexico to Houston, Texas. We went to a, from a community of probably about maybe 30,000 people to a community of about 8 million. And uh, that was a big change. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, it was a big change. We lived on a, we lived in a mobile home on a plot of ground 10 acres just out in the middle of the desert in Carlsbad, New Mexico. The only thing that designated our property was a, was a five strand barbed wire fence went all the way around it. My kids only had two at the time. That was Cody and Corey. Uh, they, uh, played out in the dirt every day. I mean, they would get out in the dirt and just play. They'd be just little dirty little mud monsters whenever they came in. And so we moved to Houston and we moved right slap dab in the middle of a, a subdivision where everything was grass or concrete or asphalt. That's it. And we were unloading the truck and the kids were looking for something to do while we were unloading the truck and one of them, I forget which one it was. I think it might have been Corey. He came to his mom and asked. He said, Mom, he said, where's the dirt? 
There's differences between city kids and country kids. Amen? Whenever we move forward as a church, one of the things that is so heavy on my heart, and I know those that have worked with me through this vision process, one of the things that has so heavy on all of our hearts is Matthew chapter 28. If you'll go there, just go all the way to the end of that chapter, verse number 18. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture as Jesus literally, these are some of the very last words that he spoke this side of heaven. So this is Matthew chapter 28. And this really encapsulates the vision. And I'm kind of springing this on you a little bit early because the 2nd of February, I'm going to talk more about this vision. But this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about it. This is what it says in Matthew 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So here is Jesus making this declaration that all authority has been given unto him. And because of that fact that all authority has been given unto him, he tells his people, his followers, he says, I want you to go to all nations. In other words, go to everybody in the world, and I want you to make disciples out of them. In the years to come, I'm just going to tell you, this church is going to focus. We are going to turn all of our efforts into making disciples. That's what this church is going to be about. Because I believe that's the instruction manual that God left us. I believe we've got to make disciples. We 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 got to make disciples. I mean, we got to make disciples. Y'all getting that yet? I believe it's every person's job in this building to help and assist in some way to make disciples out of people. Now, this morning, I've been talking about differences, and so I'm going to throw one out there that may be getting a little uncomfortable in a lot of our backyards, but this is it. I believe that there is a vast difference between a disciple and a believer. There's a lot of believers. America has a lot of believers. Lots of people that believe in Jesus. They believe He died on the cross. They believe three days later He was resurrected. A lot of believers in the church of Jesus Christ. But sometimes I think it's It's not so clear whenever some people speak and they say, I believe in Jesus. Amen? Now, you're following me. Help me with this. You see, a believer is someone who believes in Jesus Christ. They believe in what he claims to be. In 1 John, in John chapter 1, Jesus said, those who believe or take hold of him, those who believe they, they bring him to themselves, they believe in his name. The Bible says they have the right to become the children of God. If that believer goes on to believe that God raised him from the dead, conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered hell, and they confess him as Lord, those people will be saved. Okay, are you all understand what I'm saying? See, all you got to do to be saved, to be on your way to heaven, is to believe. That's it. Confess with your mouth and believe. Bang, you're there, okay? It's not some big complicated process, but a lot of people, what happens is 
they believe. They're a believer. We got a lot of believers that are going to church today, and I praise God for that because we need believers going to church. We got believers that are working in jobs. We got believers that are raising families. That's so important to be a believer. But that's where a difference is seen between a believer and a disciple. A disciple. A disciple is somebody who really, and I I emphasize this, I mean someone who really, really, really commits their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we have believers, and then we have disciples. They don't just believe in the Lord, but they commit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whenever He's Lord, then we interpret the Word of God through His life, through His teaching, through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. We are disciples, and so we are to follow His teachings. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not doing what Jesus has told you to do, you're possibly a believer, but you are definitely not a disciple. Ouch. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making a clear distinction here because we're not going to make believers. We're going to make disciples as Trinity Assembly. Amen? Okay? I have a lot of opinions. Man, I got a lot of opinions. I guess at 58 years old, I can call myself an opinionated person. My opinions, I value them very highly. In fact, I value my opinions over yours. (laughs) However, whenever you are a disciple, you literally come to a place where you surrender all of your opinions to his opinion. It's not about what you think. It's not about what you want. It's not about how you were raised. It's not about where you came from culturally or economically. You surrender all of that to him. And you say, hey, you are the boss. I do it your way. Amen? You see, whenever we call him Lord and we make him Lord of our life, then we are people who seek to live as Jesus lived. So now I'm going to use this analogy this morning and try to explain to you maybe a little bit more in depth of where I'm coming from. Ancient discipleship, such as in the day and time of Jesus, was very close to what you and I call apprenticeship today. I have been an apprentice in my life. I was a first-year apprentice, a second-year apprentice, third-year apprentice, fourth-year apprentice, and then they moved me up to the statue of uh, stat, the stature of journeyman. I worked as four years as an underground mine mechanic troubleshooter as an apprentice. So, apprentice is the closest word I believe that we have to what they call discipleship in the New Testament. Um, A person would follow and learn from a master teacher or a craftsman. In my case, it was another journeyman mechanic. Are you all there? They would follow them. And they would learn from them in order to become like him or to do what he did. So Jesus probably did this with his earthly father, Joseph. 
more than likely Jesus served as an apprentice in his father's carpentry shop because we know the Bible clearly and distinctly tells us that Jesus was a carpenter. Amen? So this is what it says in Matthew 10, verse 25. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. In other words, the Bible's telling us that's what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be like our teacher. We're supposed to be like our master. In Luke 6.40, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Are you all following what I'm doing here? I'm talking about making disciples. I want people going to this church that act like Jesus. Amen. Man, I gave you a cue and you missed it. You guys are going to have to find those cues. I want people going to go in this church that act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, love like Jesus. Are y'all following me? And I'll be honest with you. I think as a believer, you might get a couple of those things, but as a disciple, you're going to get them. Are y'all there with me? So apprenticeship usually progressed in four different stages. First, the apprentice listened to his master's instructions. Sound, sound familiar? Second stage, he watches the master perform the action. Third, he performs the action with his master's help. This is apprenticeship. Fourth, he is able to perform the action on his own and starts teaching others to perform it as well. We want disciples, folks. We want disciples. A disciple who only listened to the master but never progressed out of the classroom would never be considered a true disciple. I'm going to read that again because that's weighty. A disciple who only listened to the master but never progressed out of the classroom would never be considered a true disciple. And that's exactly what our church pews are full of today. I'm not speaking necessarily of our church, but the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. I believe we've got a lot of people that are listening and listening and listening and listening, but they never progress out of the classroom. So they are not true disciples. Believers, perhaps, but not true disciples. You see, they're not even true disciples if they learn to be able to recite from memory everything that the teacher ever said. Do you guys see some similarities here? While classroom teaching and learning was a part of the discipleship process, it was only the very first part of the process. A student who never progressed past the classroom would, be, would, would not be considered successful. While learning was important, putting into practice what had been learned was the most important thing. I can remember the very first time that I signed up to go into maintenance and I was assigned a journeyman mechanic. You know, he said, this is the way you do this. This is the way you do this. And I listened and I listened and I I watched and I was intent on learning how to fulfill the functions that this guy was teaching me. But there came a time in my life as a, as a mechanic that I had to launch out and begin to do it myself. Otherwise, I will promise you this, my company would have fired me. 
Make sense? Okay. A true true disciple not only learns what the teacher knows, but also practices what the teacher does. James 1.22, a very familiar portion of Scripture. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's exactly what discipleship's all about. It's taking a person from a place of hearing to a place of doing. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ told me to be doing, and I'm going to be doing it in Jesus' name. Amen? Let me read that scripture to you out of the Amplified Bible. This is James 1.22. It says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners, who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Remember what it said in Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. We need to be like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who's like Jesus. So let's talk about some qualities. I got three of them this morning, and next week we're going to continue with this message. But there's three qualities this morning that I want to draw our attention to that I believe disciples of Jesus Christ will find in their lives. The very first one is this, and I kind of started with a big one. Started to say this one to the very end, but I thought, why not? Let's pull the trigger early. Number one quality that I believe that every disciple will find to be present in their life is this. They will be passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever made this statement before in your life? Oh, it's Sunday. We got to go to church. I have. I've made it multiple hundreds of times. I can remember getting our kids up and getting them dressed and on their way to church. And I say, you guys got to hurry because we got to go to church. We got to go to church. We got to go to church. Let me tell you something. A passionate person that is passionate about Jesus Christ never says, I got to go to church. They say, man, I get to go to church this morning. I am excited. I am on my way to church. Praise God. You go, oh, pastor, you're just being crazy. I'm telling you, this is the way a disciple thinks. Amen. A disciple doesn't go, oh man, we got to make the donuts, you know? A disciple is like, man, any way I can serve Jesus Christ, they are passionately committed to Jesus Christ. I mean, their lives are passionate about who He is and what He's doing and what He's telling them to do. I can look back in my own life and I will just tell you this as an absolute truth. There have been times in my life that I have been so much more passionate about serving Jesus than I am today. I can remember whenever I first got born again. For heaven's sake, man, I was on fire for Jesus. I mean, everybody I met, I told them about my experience with Jesus. I told them all the good stuff that was happening in my life. I couldn't wait to get home to tell my wife about Jesus. It was just, it was a phenomenal thing that was happening. It was good. Hallelujah. Man, you say Jesus. I just smiled. You know what I'm saying? Woo! I can remember how important his word was to me, man. I, I read his word. It was recently I got in one of my old Bibles that I used at the mines where I used to work. It was a little zippered Bible, King James Version. New and Old Testament printed so fine that literally I cannot read it today without like a massive magnifying lens. 
But I noticed the pages of that Bible were all discolored. And you know why they were discolored? Because I would read that Bible anytime I had a moment free at the mines. And usually my hands were dirty because I was a mechanic, not electrician. Some of you all will get that. All these pages were stained. Oil stains on them, muck stains in them. I imagine there was a little bit of muck in there, Pastor Rick. Because I was passionate about it. That's what it says in Luke 14. If you want to turn there, this is Luke 14, verse 25. I'm going to read quite a bit of it. But I'm telling you, this is one of them scriptures that you look at and you go, whoa, man, I can't believe Jesus said that. So let's look at it. Passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Luke 14, 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me... Oh, wait a minute. I've got to set this up. So great multitudes are with him. Great multitudes are with him. But I'm going to tell you something that Jesus saw in this great multitude. He's seen a lot of believers, and he's seen a few disciples. And so right now, what he's doing is he's addressing the believers because they're following. These are people that are following Jesus around. I believe in you, Jesus. I've seen you heal the, the sick. I've seen you raise the dead. I believe in you. But Jesus only had a small group of people he called disciples. So now great multitudes went with him and turned and said to them, verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation he is not able to finish? All who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you that does not forsake all that he has, and he cannot be my disciple. Now, I think probably many of you think that I just brought that scripture in here because I'm preaching this sermon and I made it up. But I'm telling you, I didn't make it up. Jesus said that. He's not saying that you actually got to hate your wife. He's not actually saying you got to hate your mother and father. Because some of you are going, man, I already hate my mother and father. You know, that's, that's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about an intensity of life here. He's talking about an intensity of living. To where you can literally say, man, I am so passionate about Jesus Christ that my family does not even make a difference to me. Because I will tell you this, whenever you begin to get passionate about Jesus Christ, there will be people who do not share your passion. And they will weigh you down. The only thing that can cause you to come to a place to where your family, in fact, your life means nothing to you at all. It's whenever you become the disciple that he's called you to become. You see, that's these early disciples, Peter, James, John, all of these guys, they were the same. They left it all. They, they, they laid it down to follow Jesus Christ. They laid it down to follow Jesus Christ. Every one of them except the apostle John was martyred. 
John died of old, old age on the Isle of Patmos. So Peter, the apostle Peter, he was so passionate for Jesus Christ that it came to his place of death and he literally told them, he says, I, he was fixing to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. He said, man, I, I'm not even worthy to hang on a cross like my, my, my Jesus hung on a cross. He said, I want you to crucify me upside down. So they did. That's passion, folks. That's passion. Somebody that's able to lay their life down for Jesus Christ. Years and years ago, we entertained a missionary at our church, and he came telling a story back whenever South America had so many problems and so much Christianity was being uh, moved upon by so many different forces that literally there was a jungle church uh, in existence, and uh, these rebels came into the church. It was an open-air church, and they literally took the pastor's wife, and they, they said, listen, if you don't denounce Jesus Christ, pastor, in front of all these people, we're going to kill your wife. And he said, I'm not going to denounce Jesus Christ. They said, well, then we're going to kill your wife. And so they literally, right there before the congregation, before his kids, they, they cut her throat and let her die. And they said, all right, pastor, you got some kids here. We're going to kill your kids if you do not denounce Jesus Christ. And he literally sat there and watched them dismember his children, cutting off his daughter's arms right in front of him. And he never once denounced Jesus Christ. And I think to myself, I go, oh God, oh God, oh God, if that happened in my own family, could I be somebody that is so passionately loving on Jesus that I could stand there and watch my children and watch my wife? Are you all seeing what I'm saying? Folks, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to be passionately committed to who he is. You see, disciples are just passionate about all the things of God. And sometimes I think that we're being very religious instead of having that relationship that we need with Jesus Christ. And just like I mentioned a minute ago, one of the things that we've got to begin to do is make up our minds, because this scripture I read in Luke 14, this is what it's about. We've got to begin to say, I'm going to please God over pleasing people. Pleasing God has got to begin to take precedence in our life. I'm going to please God. That's what disciples do. They please God with their lives. Following Jesus not only has to uh, take precedence over pleasing people, but it has to take precedence over no matter what it might cost us. I know very many people who have left careers behind. I got a message from a missionary down in Ecuador that he left a very good job of being a policeman behind and him and his family literally picked up roots and moved themselves to Ecuador and our missionaries there now. We support them. I know so many people that have had careers that have just been, you know, bursting forth and God says, I want you to serve me. And they just literally laid down everything. Whenever I went into the ministry, one of the things that happened to me just days, literally, before I made the decision to quit my job and to go into ministry was the, the place where I worked at offered me a position as a supervisor. And literally, I mean, I was going to get a huge raise and, you know, I was going to be supervising a whole panel in the mine. And this was a great thing for me. And, and I can remember when I went into my boss's office and I said, man, I'm turning in my resignation. And he goes, well, you know, we just offered you this job. He said, are you crazy? You know, are, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Are you on dope? What, what's the deal with you? No matter what the cost, no matter what you have to sacrifice, because I will tell you this, if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
you're going to have to give up some things. So not only do you have to make God precedence over all other people, you've got to count the cost. But I, this last part is, is, is so telling of who we are as believers. I believe this, that your life has to become extraordinary. Disciples live extraordinary lives. I mean, folks, whenever you begin to touch people in their, with your hands and their bodies are healed, are you all there with me? Whenever you begin to minister somebody the word of God and all of a sudden you see the light come on, and they say, man, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm telling you, there's no other high that exists in mankind that will supersede that high because it is just, it's extraordinary. Whenever you see somebody rescued literally from the pit of hell through the light that shines through your life, Jesus Christ, folks, there is nothing better than that. That's an extraordinary life. When you're able to raise the dead and cast out demons and heal the sick, raise up the lame, because that's what God has called us to do as his disciples. Our lives will become extraordinary. You're going to be going home from a trip to the grocery store. and You're going to be saying, well, wait a minute, man. You cannot believe what happened to me down at Piggly Wiggly next to the vegetables. I prayed for somebody, praise God. And right there, right there by the cucumbers, they got healed in Jesus' name. You're not going to be going around. I'm telling you, our lives are too dull. Whatever you and I have to talk about politics, oh, God forbid to make our lives extraordinary. We got a problem. We need to be talking about people that are healed, people that are delivered, people that are set free, the captives released from the very hands of Satan. That's an extraordinary life. And that's what we get whenever we passionately commit to Jesus Christ. This is the second thing. Not only do we need to passionately commit to Jesus Christ, but we need to extraordinarily have an extraordinary love for people. Okay, get this. It's important. Jesus loved people. Big one. And I'll tell you something about Jesus' love. It wasn't an ordinary love. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes I believe my love for people is pretty ordinary. Now, I've got folks in my life that my love is extraordinary towards them. Okay? My grandkids, you're there. My family, you're there. But some of I mean... Some people in other churches. <laughs> no, sometimes I really think that my love is somewhat ordinary. You know, well, I love you. You know, bless God. You know, but please don't call me if you're in a real bind. Because I'm watching Jeopardy champions. <laughs> I knew Ken Jennings was going to win. I knew it. I just knew it. It was his time. I'm almost like Ken Jennings whenever it comes to Jeopardy, only different. So anyway, gosh, I knew that wasn't going to fly. I shouldn't have done it. Jesus' love was not ordinary. It was extraordinary. Jesus loved in four dimensions, and I want to go over them real quickly with you. First of all, he loved the least. He loved the least. 
And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it for one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. And the message, this is what it says. Then the king will say, I am telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. I'm believing God for this summer to be able to go to the school that Caleb just went to, the Atlanta School of Ministry, and go down to their church, which is the Dream Center and minister down there. I'm wanting to take some young people with me. I'm wanting to take some youth with me. And all they do down there is minister. I'm just going to tell you. Five days a week, they're going to go, or six days a week, we're going to go out as a missions team, and we're going to go to, we're going to go minister to kids that have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. We're going to go and minister to homeless people that are all over the Atlanta area. And the third thing that we're going to do every single day, we're going to do these things, is we're going to go minister to people who are caught up in sex trafficking because Atlanta happens to be one of the one of the three major cities in the United States that is ranked way up there in sex trafficking. And this what we don't understand folks is these are people, these are people who are exactly the overlooked and the ignored. I mean, how, how often, just, just think with me here. How often does your life intersect those that are ignored, that are overlooked? Seems like every week somebody in this ministry gives towards the benevolence ministry. Somebody tucks in a little extra money every week so that we can buy food as a ministry so that we can give it out on Tuesday mornings. And literally, we've served hundreds and hundreds of people over the 17 and a half years that I've been here, giving out food and, and been a blessing to so many homes. But you, you see, are you understanding what I'm saying? I mean, how often are you moved upon to say, listen, I want to help somebody that is overlooked and ignored? There are poor people all over this place, folks, and we can be a blessing to them. And I will tell you this. Whenever you begin to have an extraordinary love for people, that is, a, that is a characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are going to love the least of these, my brethren. Second thing is, you're going to love the lost. You're going to love the lost. Whenever you're watching a TV show and you see somebody getting arrested for drugs and they're put in the backseat of a police car instead of going, yeah, man, take them to jail, your heart is going to be broken for that individual, because you know, you know that they're lost. I can remember one time where God just, you know, he, he literally turned up the sensitivity in my life. He, he just turned it up. I never had experienced this before. But I had come to a place in my life where God had did some amazing things, and he dealt with me in some really special ways. And I tell you, I could not go anywhere without weeping over the lost. Our grocery store in Montana was called Buttrees, and we'd go to Buttrees, and I would walk down the aisle with a shopping cart, and the kids are throwing things in, and Renee's throwing things in, and I am bawling like a blubbering idiot because the Holy Spirit is saying, they're lost, they're lost, as I walk by them. And I just wept over them, and I wept over them, and I can remember times of getting alone with God, and I just, I just cried out for mercy, and I cried out. There was such a sensitivity inside of me for the lost and folks, there are lost people all around us that we never even see, much less speak to. We rub shoulders with them every day. I'm telling you, a disciple of Jesus Christ is going to love the lost. A disciple of Jesus Christ is going to love across cultures. 
One of the things we find here in the South is some deep-seated prejudices. I came from a home that was very prejudiced. I grew up in New Mexico, and so I'm just going to be very frank with you, very honest. God has delivered me from this prejudice, but I was very prejudiced against Mexican people. Even though my best friend in high school was a Mexican, I just didn't, I just didn't count him as one. Everybody else was, but he wasn't, nor was his family. I don't understand that. My father-in-law was very prejudiced. Even at his funeral, one of his nephews got up and talked about the prejudices my father-in-law had, but literally this happened. Renee's older brother married a Mexican lady from Mexico, brought her home from a missions trip, and my father-in-law fell in love with her. Ironic. I've heard it here in Franklin, North Carolina, how the Cherokees are horrible people. We stand on soil, literally, that was fought over because of slavery. Are you all there? And I will tell you this. You can sit there this morning and say, I have no prejudice. I have no prejudice. I have no prejudice. I'm going to tell you, you got prejudice. You just may not realize it. And they may be to a level that you don't understand. But I will tell you this. We have to begin to love people across cultures. I was real uncomfortable with people getting tattoos. I mean, I just thought tattoos were something that was just horrible. For one thing, they stuck you 40, 45,000 times with a needle to get it. And I don't like to be stuck once with a needle. I had to ask God. I said, God, you know, you got to help me with this. You want to have tattoos? Get them. I don't care. They're going to look funny whenever you're 80, though. I'm just telling you. I had problems with people getting all these piercings. I, I did. I mean, I literally had problems. And people coming with stuff stuck all over their bodies. And I'm going, okay, God has helped me with that. Come on. We have to love people no matter what they look like, what race they came from, what uh, uh, social economic background they have, no matter where they're from, you and I have got to reach out to them. I mean, I've described this before with, uh, you know, the church I worked at in Houston, Texas. One of the things that literally broke that church wide open with revival is a couple of 60s era hippies came in, un, totally not dressed for church, very affluent church, everybody wearing suits and ties. Well, the ladies didn't. They wore dresses and real nice shoes and had their all hair all fixed up and everything. And two hippies come in and sit down in the front at uh, the altar area, crossing their legs, and they were inappropriately dressed. And one of the lead ushers literally came, an elderly man came down the, and you know, everybody in the church is going, yeah, they need to get them out of here. Bunch of hippie freaks. Anybody old enough to remember hippie freaks besides myself? Okay, good. Five people? Okay. And this man came down to the front of the church and literally, as elderly as he was, probably a couple of knee replacements and hip replacements, he got down on the floor next to them and worshiped with them. The odd thing about it is that man literally become a deacon in the church about 25 years later whenever I was there. <laughs> he told me the story. And he told me, he showed me pictures of whenever him and his wife were long-haired hippie freaks. It literally started a revival that brought Houston, Braveswood Assembly of God, to the seventh largest AG church in the nation at that time. We have to reach across cultures. We've got to love them, no matter who they are, where they come from. And the last one, and I know nobody in this room has any problems with this, 
but you've got to learn to love your enemies. So we've got to love the least, we've got to love the lost, we've got to love cross cultures, and we've got to love our enemies. We have to have an extraordinary love for people. And the last one today is this, and I'm going to try to move quickly through it. Not only do we have to have a passionate commitment to Jesus Christ and extraordinary love for people, but we have to have a heart to be a servant. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, care about them as much as you care about yourselves and think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Christ was truly God, but he did not try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. Christ was humble. He obeyed God and even died on the cross. Then God gave Christ the highest place and honored his name above all others, so that at the name of Jesus, every will, everyone will bow down, those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and the glory of God the Father, everyone will openly agree, Jesus Christ is Lord. So this morning, one of the questions that I have, and I mean, this is kind of one that plagues me, one of my biggest questions is, why did Jesus come and be a servant? I mean, seriously, he's God. He's the one that stood there on the day of creation and spoke the word and everything that was created was created through him and by him. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So why in the world did Jesus, the son of the living God, the creator of all, why did he come to earth as a servant? This is my answer. Okay, it's my opinion, which I value highly. But I think it has to do with the original sin, the sin of pride. You see, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan came and he spoke to him and literally Adam and Eve tried to exalt themselves above God. Before Adam and Eve did it, Satan did it. Satan was in heaven and he was literally thrown out of heaven because he tried to exalt himself above God. And I believe this. And none of y'all get mad at me, but I think sometimes we try to exalt our own selves above God. Can I sing a song to you so that you'll know what I'm talking about? Sang by an old blue-eyed guy. I did it my way. Thank you. I don't know any of the other words. I just know that one. I did it my way. Anytime that you and I do it our way, you all understand what we're doing? We're saying, God, yeah, yeah, I know what you think, but I'm going to do it my way. Come on. And you know how as parents we love our kids to be that way, don't you know? (laughs) Wasn't a lot of amens there. You see, Satan was thrown out of heaven. Adam and Eve uh, 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 were thrown out of the Garden of Eden because of that. Jesus' own disciples, his own disciples, these are good guys. They vied for position. You see, they had some pride in them. Amen? This is what it says in Luke 22, 24 through 27. This is how the message, I love the way it says it. Within minutes, these are the disciples, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. So here you see them out in the parking lot. James is saying, I'm going to be the greatest. John's saying, I'm going to be the greatest. In fact, I'm going to write that he loved me more than y'all. So, And here's Peter. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Man, he's rolling up his sleeves. I'll beat you into a pulp, man. I'm Peter. 
They're all bickering over who is going to be the greatest. But Jesus comes and he intervenes. In other words, because today is the football playoffs, he threw a flag. He said, you guys are all messed up here. He said, kings will throw their weight around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like your like the junior. Let the leader act as par, act the part of a servant. Who would you rather be? The one who eats dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. Disciples are going to be passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Disciples are going to have an extraordinary love for one another. For people. And disciples are going to serve. The more that you and I serve, the more we look like Jesus. I've been in the ministry quite a while, and I've dealt with a lot of messed up marriages. I can pretty much tell you, very emphatically tell you, that one of the main reasons marriages become messed up is because we people really like to be served. It's a fact. We like to be served. I mean, I've heard it before. People sat down in my office and said, you know, my wife, she just, she just doesn't take care of me anymore. I just, you know, I, she just doesn't serve me like, you know, she did whenever we were married three days. She just doesn't do that anymore. And I've heard the same thing from ladies. You know, my husband, he just, you know. See, we want, us, we want our spouses to serve us instead of the other way around. But, you know, this is what I'm going to tell you. We should try our best to outserve one another in our marriages. I mean that. We should get up today and say, I'm, I'm going to outserve you, man. I do this with Renee all the time. She says, I love you. And I say, I love you more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do that all the time. She says, no, you don't love me more. And I say, yeah, I do. It's a proven fact. And this is the way you can mark it. I told her before she told me that I love her. I mean, I sprung it on her early. We had only been dating for about eight minutes. And I said, I love you. And she goes, no, you don't. You do not. I go, I do. I'm telling you, I do. The first girl I ever dated. And I love you, man. About 30 years later, you know, she finally breaks out. She's oh, okay. I love you too. And so I've loved her longer. It wasn't 30 years. I'm just joking. It was a few minutes later. And so I've loved her longer. Thus, I have loved her. I love her more. I'm telling you, folks, we ought to get up and we say, I'm going to serve you more. I'm going to serve you more. Not as a joke, but I mean as a reality. Because whenever we begin to get selfish and we begin to want to be served, that's one of the reasons why we'll find fault in not only our marriage, but our job. Well, I just work and work all the time, and I never get any benefit from it. Do you get paid on Fridays? Well, yeah, but, I mean, my boss never even tells me thank you. 
I don't know. But whenever he signs a check at the bottom, I'm pretty much thinking that's a thank you. I mean, seriously, that's, that's what happens with us all. I mean, that's why people jump from church to church to church to church. It's because, well, I'm just not getting fed at that church. You know, let me tell you something. You're not supposed to get fed at this church. You're supposed to be feeding other people at this church. Come on, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but that's, that's the reality of being a disciple is you come to church, you come to church. I don't care if I get fed or not. I can get fed on my quiet times with Jesus Christ. He can feed me all I need to be fed, but I've come to this church because I am going to feed other people. I'm going to be a disciple. So I've just got a short list here of people we need to serve. First of all, I believe we need to serve our families. We need to serve our spouses. We need to serve our kids. I always thought that kids were born into my family to be my servants. I was just looking forward to the day where I could say, oh, man, go get me a glass of tea and prop my feet up. Give me a foot massage. Never happened. We got to serve our families. We got to serve our community. You see, it's outside of this walls. It's, It's so important that we begin to serve people. We've got to serve our neighbors. We've got to serve those people that we know have needs in their lives. Whenever you hear somebody having an illness, just because they don't go to this church doesn't mean you can't serve them. You hear somebody in the hospital doesn't mean you can't go see them. Are you all there? Go and pray over their life. Whether Maybe just your grocer down at the Piggly Wiggly. And, and, and take care of their lives. Serve the community that's outside there. Have a heart for people and serve them. And then lastly, I will just tell you something. And I, I'm, I mean, I know this is one of those pills that's kind of bitter, but if you're not serving in the church, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ is going to be serving in the church. I didn't say you're not a believer. Are you all there with me? I mean, you can be a believer all day long. You'd be on your way to heaven all day long. But this morning, I'm telling you, as we move forward, and Jared, if you'll come and help me close this this morning, as we move forward as a church, we're going to be making disciples, 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 disciples. I'm going to be coming to you guys in the next weeks and months, and I'm going to be sitting down with each one of you guys. I'm going to say, okay, where do you want to serve in the church? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You go, well, I can't do much. I said, you can do something. My former pastor in Winston-Salem, one of the things he did is, I shouldn't even tell you this because you're going to expect it from me. But the guy sent birthday cards and anniversary cards to every person in his congregation. And whenever I was there, the thing was running 3,000 adults in the service. And he's sending birthday cards and anniversary cards to every person he's got an address. He would sit down and sign them. But you know what? He had the shut-ins of the church. These men and women that could not come to church, he'd take all these birthday cards and anniversary cards, and they would address them, and they would do put the stamps on them and everything. And every morning, on Monday morning, he would have a big old stack of cards on his desk that he had to say, you know, happy birthday from Pastor Ron. That's all he put in it. Because he was lazy, and he didn't write something big in it. But anyway, I'm just joking. You see, his shut-ins even had a ministry. His shut-ins, people that are there at, at their homes, can be valuable to the body of Christ. This morning, I'm not going to let anybody in this room say, Pastor, I just want to stay as a believer. I'm going to irritate you. And believe me, I can be irritating. I promise you. If you don't believe I can be irritating, you just talk to my wife. She has been irritated multiple times. I just want to irritate you. Because, folks... It's going to take a lot of disciples that call Trinity home to make a lot more disciples. Whenever you reach into the the area of, I am committing my life passionately to Jesus Christ. 
I am going to be a a person who loves people extraordinary. I'm going to have this extraordinary love for people. And I am going to be a member of this congregation and I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. That's whenever you know that the characteristics in your life are pointing you towards being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, there's not one place in the Bible that tells us to make believers. It says make disciples. Now, the first thing we got to do, you understand, is get them to believe. But then immediately, you begin to move them forward in the discipleship process until they are fully mature in Jesus Christ and can make disciples all of their own. That's what the fourth-year apprentice gets into. They become a journeyman Christian. A journeyman Christian. I'm looking forward to the time that this church is just brimming full of journeymen. Men and women that can do it for the kingdom. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to leave this place and not forget everything that's been spoken this morning. I want you to leave and I want you to do kind of a self-examination, maybe a little retrospecting into your life. I want you to ask yourself, are you passionately committed to Jesus Christ? Passionately. Look that word up in the dictionary. Google it. Passionate. See what it means. And then just lay that template over your life of passionate and compare it with your life. Am I a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Is my commitment on the passionate level or is it just on the whole hum level? And then take the next one and say, do I have an extraordinary love for people? And then thirdly, say, am I a servant? There are times in my life, I promise you this, I would much rather be served than serve. But Jesus has called us to serve. And that's what we need to do. We serve until the day we go home to be with Jesus Christ. We serve. Our lives are about being a servant. Because this is what I'm told. I believe it's scriptural. There's going to come a day where the greatest among us are going to be those that have served. Whenever we get to heaven, God is going to point out, say that right there, that reward is because that man served me and served his people with a whole heart all of his life. And you're going to go, well, that was just the janitor of our church. Yeah, but he served me. He served me. Serve, love, and commit yourself passionately to Jesus. Jesus.